Sentire Media. It is the early spring of 2001. A group of friends are waiting for one more friend to join them so they can start a party. The missing friend, Filippo, is adamant that they should not start celebrating until he arrives because he has something special for them and they have to perform a special ceremony. They await in trepidation. Finally, Filippo arrives. He has with him a nice, glossy, colourful magazine, Una Storia Italiana, an Italian story. The magazine, self-produced by ex-Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi, that he has sent out to millions of Italian homes. In it, the story of his life, his family, his successes... It's all a wonderful fairy tale about how this great man has helped those around him and his nation. There is hardly any mention at all about the suspicious origins of his fortunes and all of the investigations that he is currently undergoing. Filippo now insists that before the party can start, the friends must burn the magazine. His hope is that with the help of this voodoo-like ritual, Silvio Berlusconi will not win the upcoming political elections. His hope is in vain. Now, if you remember, in the last episode, we left off with the fall of the first Berlusconi government. And this week, my co-host, Matteo Marconi, ex-lawyer and current policeman, and I pick up with the 96 and then 2001 election in which Berlusconi returned to power. So 1996 comes along. We won't dwell too long on that, but that just to say that that was the first... Prodi, Romano Prodi versus Silvio Berlusconi election and Romano Prodi for the centre-left won, so we could say Romano Prodi won, Berlusconi zero. And I think probably that's one of the thorns, uh, Matteo, and Berlusconi's side, that he never, in all of his time in politics, managed to beat Romano Prodi. Because Also in 2006, another election, Romano Prodi versus Berlusconi, and that was Romano Prodi two, Berlusconi zero in, in that time. 2001, that was more or less the time that I started dating my current wife. And I remember entering for the first time, you know, the meet the parents and the brother-in-law moment. And I remember the first question that was asked of me was not, you know, hey, where are you from? But who do you vote? Um, So, Matteo, I have a suspicion that that if I had answered wrong (laughs) in that question, I don't know if I would be so happily married today. Matteo, do you have any particular memories of the 94 or the 2001 election that that sort of stuck in your mind of of either of those two elections? I was a little bit uh, hopeless. Uh, (laughs) I didn't think in 2001 that we could win. Mm -hmm. We, as in, because you, you, you feel it's the center left. Yeah. Uh, yes, obviously, you know, I, I, my father uh, would have killed me. <laughs> and, uh, also, your grandfather. Uh, we must remember that Matteo's Ma- yes, grandfather was a part. He fought against the, the fascists the, during the Second World War as a partisan. A partisan, partisan, yeah, partisan yes. yeah. And um, because the first, when we lost in 1994, 
um, it, it, it was incredible. Nobody expected that this this man coming out from nowhere from t TV, uh, just like you know Donald Trump. He <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was a TV host. I don't know TV showman. Uh, uh -huh. he, he could have went in two weeks, in two or three weeks because yeah, yeah. Yeah. eight weeks basically eight weeks. from founding the party to we to... had the best uh, politics, the best uh, organization. We thought nothing could happen. Uh, Italy is a it's a fundamentally right wing. So, uh, well, why do you say that, Mantel? Fundamentally right wing. Because uh, it's it's always been like this since the, um, the Second World War. The election always won the uh, the Democrat, the Christian Democrat, were the supporter of the church, of the um, of the organized crime. Uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> not so open, <laughs> but. And um, it's always been a par uh, um, conservative uh, nation, uh, Italy. We could win only twice when there was this Romano Prodi that came from the Christian Democrat. So only in this occasion we won. Only this man could take the vote from the other side. Without, with a uh, man coming from the left, uh, from uh, Socialist Party of the the ex Communist Party, we couldn't win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It must be said that sort of the the the, the main left wing parties in Italy spent the nineties sort of moving towards the center and even taking up some of the old members of the of the Christian Democrats. I think that it's the right choice because uh, um, Biden is doing this to 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 fight against uh, Donald Trump. Without the, the support of the center, of the center yeah. you cannot win. And so uh, I, I think that it's the right choice with the dangers is very, is very high. If you can afford uh, Donald Trump or Berlusconi to win the game. So you have to do something that uh, maybe it's not your um, best choice. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not your your identity, identity. but it's but a, there's a, a historical fact. In the, the Italian party from the left uh, side is not it's never been united. Yes, yeah. Uh, right party instead is very united when yeah. they, when they have to fight. There's a, they know how to stay together. Yeah, indeed. I, I think if you look at some of the uh, national and local elections in Italy, you you can often find four or five or sometimes six different communist parties yeah, uh, with different more, names, more, <laughs> possibly more. So, so we have loads of those around and they can't seem to get their act together into a single party. Okay, and, and in 2001, Berlusconi did something, perhaps, you know, remembering the experience of 94, he, he tried to get a stronger, more compact coalition and he actually formed, rather than a coalition, a party. So he absorbed some of the ex-allies of the coalition, i.e. Alleanza Nazionale and some of the sort of centre parties, I don't remember if it's CDU, the Centre uh, Democrats, you know, well, anyway, sort of the ex-splinter parties from the Christian Democrats, and he brought them together in a single party, which at the time was called PDL, which is the Partito della Libertà, uh, or Delle, was it plural? Delle, Delle. Delle. it was plural, Partito Delle Libertà, so the, the Party of Freedoms, then history showed us that maybe Berlusconi was thinking about different freedoms from from what we were thinking and the people that voted for him. So freedom to have... Legibus solutus, uh, as you say in Latin. Uh, 
Free from laws. Uh, okay, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That freedom from laws <laughs> completely. Like the, the the emperor in the Roman Empire, legibus solutus. It was the yeah, princess. above the law. Exactly, exactly. And indeed, actually, now you mentioned that Matteo, particularly two thousand and one was the era in which Berlusconi really had a strong majority, and he had the power to start to pass the laws that, as we said before, were not especially for him, but strangely, he sort of uh, benefited very, very much from, from these laws. Indeed, uh, we must remember that the 2001-2006 Berlusconi government is the longest-serving government in, Italian, in modern Italian history. And the longest-serving uh, government who made uh, uh, 30-something uh, laws. laws. So ad, ad personam. Yes, yeah, exactly. Ad personam, as personas, because... They were useful for him and for his friends. A few friends, but uh, very important. Indeed, in that uh, second run, Berlusconi passed uh, around 24 uh, laws which were studied. Uh, yeah, yeah, he did, he did a good job, yeah. Um, some examples, if we want to look at them. Rogatoria, uh, sort of uh, uh, European extradition. Uh, what, what was that one? Uh, you asked to... Um, an, um, a judge in another European country to collect proof for a trial that is held in Italy. And uh, with this law, this kind of process is getting very difficult to, <laughs> to do because uh, there's a lot of stops. And, uh, and, and oddly enough, that was went and modified a trial in which Berlusconi was involved in and they were not allowed to uh, ask for information from his Swiss uh, bank accounts. Yes, because he had lots of money. And the very strange things, not, not so strange, because in Italy we had a very important um, institution which is called la Corte Costituzionale. These laws, most of these laws, um, have been approved by the parliament, but in Italy we have the sort of... Uh, uh, judge, uh, giudice delle leggi, mm-hmm. the judge of laws. laws. Yeah, we have uh, uh, the Corte Federale. Yeah, the, yeah, it's a bit like a supreme, not supreme really a supreme court. court. Just, uh, yeah, it's like a, a constitutional court which uh, has the role of deciding if a law passed by the parliament is constitutional or not. And so the Corte Costituzionale stopped a, a lot of these uh, laws. I think the most, most of them most of have them. been uh, destroyed by the. Corte Costituzionale, mm-hmm. and so he tried to, for, for some time, he, he did what he wanted, but until, uh, at one point, the Corte Costituzionale stopped his... Yeah, his so either that or another thing that, because this is the system of checks, and luckily, I mean, sometimes it really felt like in Italy we were living in a, in a third world republic, I mean, actually... It was no, int- we're living... We, okay, yeah, so in Italy so- we... <laughs> It's a strange place. It's a, Italy's an odd place, but at least we do have these checks and balances, uh, which are the constitutional courts and the, and the president of the republic, because a law passed by parliament must be signed by the president of the republic, and a few times also the president, uh, who in the first Berlusconi government was, uh, I think it moved from, it was Ciampi, and then we had Napolitano after Scalfaro. Ciampi. Uh, Scalfaro. Scalfaro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so some, yeah, Scalfaro in the first Berlusconi government refused to sign the, the law. So, I mean, we do have those checks and balances. But what happened, and that was the interesting mechanism, and, and they talk about this in the Bunga Bunga podcast, and I think that's um, done very well. So what happened was, say, for example, Berlusconi, so he, the, his parliament, his majority would pass a law. 
then maybe eventually the uh, constitutional court would uh, annul this law, would cancel this law. But what had happened? In the meantime, enough time had passed in these trials, so these laws allowed Berlusconi to drag things along enough for the statute of limitations to kick in, i.e., in Italian, that, or what is it in Italian? I forgot. Um, la prescrizione. And, uh, and uh, the podcast points out, as is the case in Italy, the, the clock on the statute of limitation keeps on running, even as the trial goes on. Although you were saying, Matteo, the current government is, is trying to put a stop to that now. Yes, he has put a stop. Uh, when you have the first uh, conviction... Yeah, yeah, when you have the first level of conviction, because initially we have three it, levels. It stops. So it the stops. statute of limitation stops. So today, Berlusconi would not be able to... Uh, although he is still on trial for a couple I of... I think... Uh, I don't know. He's got so much... He's got so much... Maybe, I don't remember. Well, let's say now it's a bit He's of... He's too old to be... To, to go to... To prison. to prison. Thanks to a law that he introduced. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so now it's a sort of a race between the magistrates and nature to see who gets to him first. He was a very... Um, he, knew, he knew that these laws would be destroyed by the Corte Costituzionale, mm. by the Supreme Court, I don't know. What. Yeah, like this But he knew that he needed just... Time. Time. So they were very useful for his purposes. And he doesn't care if the laws is getting uh, wiped away, is wiped away by the, the judges or the courts, the Corte Costituzionale. He needed in that moment and he had what he wanted. So perfect, a perfect plan. Some of these laws were not only to, to get him or keep him out of prison or to, to delay his trials. But one, for example, uh, what, so very often in, in, unfortunately, Italian history, we have this habit of building illegally, um, perhaps destroying acres and acres of beautiful land or beaches, etc. So, uh, so he not only passed laws for, to, to, keep, to slow down his trials or to keep himself out of prison, but also to sort things out. Like in Italy, we have these condono, edilizio, which is sort of a building pardon, you could say. So anybody that has built illegally in the past uh, by paying a sum, yes. uh, a sort of symbolic fine can uh, legalize this this building uh, legal building and and Berlusconi strangely enough uh, was man, was able to use this uh, law to uh, sort out something in his villa it, in Sardinia it works for every, everyone yeah it works but for everyone a, but, uh, but uh, in that time he at was that time, one of the uh, the people who benefited this this kind of law uh, very cheap. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than have to destroy what he'd built, and uh, yeah, well, maybe, maybe in this case he had someone else in mind because you know he may have some friends. If we think maybe. of all of the building that the Sicilian mafia did in uh, in Sicily as well, maybe. that may have required, or the the, yeah, the Camorra in, in Naples. And, and I remember he he, he, he built uh, some kind of a little volcano. Uh, <laughs> a volcano. Uh, volcano, yes. Uh, <laughs> with the lava coming up. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he had these strange parties with a uh, supermodel and politician uh, with this volcano. Yeah, I'm not sure. Erupting, how, yeah, I'm not sure how, how the lava... And I don't remember that. I'm not sure how the lava played into the party, but... I, not the real lava, but uh, I don't know. So. 
something very kitsch. Uh, ah, okay, <laughs> sort of. Uh, okay, um, but speaking of yeah, speaking of making laws for for his friends, I, in the second Bellus Cunisamen, we saw the interesting story of uh, Aldo Brancher, who uh, became was perhaps one of the shortest-lived ministers of of the Italian Republic, because you see. Um, there is a law in Italy, Matteo, you, you can confirm this, that means that the president of the republic has immunity, uh, correct? Yes. And one of the things that the Berlusconi did was try to extend that immunity to uh, the president, the prime minister, him at the time, to the, and to the ministers. And so oddly enough, there was one of his long-term uh, supporters, Aldo Brancher, who had been an undersecretary in various governments, who at the time was facing some pretty serious legal action. He was under investigation, I think, for bank fraud, uh, various other things. And so he was made a minister, wouldn't you believe? Um, nobody knows exactly what he was supposed to be minister for. Indeed, I remember a famous article coming out at the time saying, Il ministro del nulla, the minister of nothing. And uh, would you believe it, a few days, if not maybe ten, a week later, he tried to use his newfound ministerial immunity to get out of the trial uh, he was under. And luckily this time the president of the republic was having none of it and uh, Minister Brancher lasted, I believe he lasted maybe from... May or June until September, something like that. It was. I do not remember <laughs> this, this man. And then as well as, as laws to sort out uh, people's houses, he also had a, a series of laws to uh, sort out his companies. So all the laws in favor of his company, Fininvest, uh, uh, Mondadori. I mean, one, one of the big ongoing scandals is the fact that he managed to almost steal like for, for example in the podcast they talk about how he almost stole uh, Villa San Martino so his Villa in Arcore but I mean in Italian history one of the great robberies is that of Mondadori which is one of the which one of the main publishing houses in Italy which was basically uh, stolen by Berlusconi thanks to uh, corruption of corruption ju- of judges who assigned uh, in his who the, ruled in his favor for this the, the, his lawyers wrote the motivation of the sentence who gave uh, Mondadori to Finivest exactly this is the, the core of the of the process of the of the, tri- of the trial and his lawyer is being condemned uh, Cesare Previti for this uh, <laughs> little problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Cesare Previti is one then, at the end, maybe we'll talk about how everybody ended up and we'll see who ended up in jail and who didn't. <laughs> so, there are all the laws uh, in favour of Finibus, but then there was uh, his control of the media. So, the, the podcast Bunga Bunga does a great job of setting up the whole story of how he became the owner of the three main private channels in Italy. And, you know, we can remember in, in our lifetime, Matteo, that... Uh, we, there was a period when you had six channels. You had Rai 1, Rai 2, Rai 3, and then you had Berlusconi's because three yes, channels. Uh, uh, as a um, prime minister, as the majority, he could control the uh, state television. Exactly. And to, to understand maybe how that works for, for sort of non-Italian listeners, Rai is uh, state-run television. And what happens is the uh, managerial positions in Rai are nominated by the parliament. Okay, so not the prime minister directly, not the president of the republic, but by the parliament. Obviously, it goes without saying that if you control the majority of parliament, then you can control who 
manages Rai. And with the whole issue of Rai, it brings us to another question which is done very well in the podcast, and that is the whole uh, Edito Bulgaro, the Bulgarian edict, um, in which Berlusconi basically intervened from a press conference in Sofia, in, in Bulgaria, on a totally different topic, which... Kind of reminds me of someone nowadays, you know, he's doing a rally, he's doing a press conference and talks about something totally different, but we won't name names there. He basically said that three Rai journalists had, and his words were, fatto un uso criminoso della, TV, della televisione pubblica. So that three journalists had, you, had made criminal use of public television. And he was referring to Enzo Biaggi, who, is a, who was a long, long-standing, recognized Italian journalist for many, many years. He had been in Rai since 1961. Uh, he was also referring to Michele Santoro, another journalist who had done some programs like Biaggi that were critical of uh, Berlusconi. And he was also referring to a comedian mentioned in the podcast, Daniele Luttazzi. Uh, Daniele Lutazzi, who interviewed a journalist, Marco Travaglio, who's highly specialized in, in legal journalism, let's say. Well, the best, I think, is the best, the best in uh, legal journalism. Yes, 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 yes. Whether you yeah. like him or not. Very prepared, uh, very, uh, yeah, yeah. He knows what he's talking about. He, he can tick off uh, laws, he can tick off trials, he, he, can, he can whip them out, you know, he's got them all in his head. And so Lutazzi interviewed... Um, Travaglio, Marco Travaglio, on the 14th of March uh, 2001 about his book L'odore dei soldi, uh, the, the smell, the scent of money, which was one of the first times that... The, the smell, the smell. The smell, the, smell. Yeah, the stink, <laughs> the stink of money, which was one of the first times that the origin of Berlusconi's riches, of Berlusconi's wealth, was brought to national attention, uh, because, you know, the question asked is, where did this guy get all this money to start with? I mean, his story is that he got a favorable bank loan from his father's bank. Then we discover, thanks to Travaglio's documents, that the bank was also laundering mafia money, and so on, and, and so forth. So, once Berlusconi, after that, wins the election, gets into power, strangely enough, these three journalists quickly disappear from uh, from television. Their, their programs are not renewed. I think Rai did particularly backhanded and dirty the way they got rid of him because they couldn't have been seen to outright get rid of one of the most important journalists that Italy had. Indeed, in the, in the podcast, you hear Biaggi interviewing Berlusconi, you hear Biaggi interviewing people like Borsellino, uh, Biaggi is in, he's interviewed almost, I mean, Dalla Chiesa, very important figures in, in Italian history. So he could, they couldn't be seen to be outright getting rid of him. They just sort of offered him, rather than a primetime spot, a, a later one in the evening knowing that he, he couldn't accept something like that. Mobbing, so, mobbing. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they mobbed him out of right. Then we'll, we'll talk about, you know, how everybody, how everybody ended up. Okay, so then this experience of the second Berlusconi government comes to an end, its natural end, which is something very rare in Italy. The government didn't fall, it went, uh, the, the legislature actually got through to all of the five years that it, it should go through. And uh, according to the Italians, he'd done such a wonderful job that in 1996 he lost the elections to Romano Prodi, and that was 2-0 uh, for Romano Prodi. Then, Matteo, as you said before, 
the left self-destructed, because that's what the left does, and after only two years, although they did have time for Italy to win the World Cup, 2006, uh, uh, under the Prodi government, uh, two years and we were... 2004, maybe. No, 2006. Are you sure? 2002, we got kicked out of Korea. <laughs> 2006, uh, in Berlin, we won uh, the cup. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was the first time since 1982. So, yes. Been a while. <laughs> so then, uh, elections in 2008 came along, and once again, Silvio was back in power. Well, I hope you enjoyed the second part of this three-part, let's say, mini-series on the Berlusconi era. Next time, we'll go to the 2008 election and then to Berlusconi's final downfall. That is, unless he comes back again, but that doesn't look very likely. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to the second half of my Margherita Hack and Galileo Galilei level supporters, Marxist-Leninist-Sicilian, Mike M. Neville, Paria Dice, Patrizia Kappa, Peter W. Rene B., Roberta D., Rodney N., The Question Master, Rudy F., Sam, Scott, Shelby and Stephen, and the tippy-top Maria Montessori, and Dante Ligieri level, Paolo, Lisa K., J.W., Andrew M., Brandon S., Maxime, David A., and, of course, Sen. Remember, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com with questions, concerns, to just say hello or share some deep insight into the facts of life. You can also, from that URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, click through to our social media. We are on Twitter and Facebook, and you can also find us on Instagram. So get in touch any way you want. At the same URL, you can also go to our support page where you can become a patron and have access to new materials. A new episode has just come out of News Cappuccino in which I talk about Italian political parties and in particular, the party of love. Till next time, thanks very much to everyone for listening and arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.